you ever lived a period in your life where you were just waiting for the next thing? Like growing up, I was really active in Boy Scouts and um, and playing in sports, and, and it seemed like for a long part of my life, it was lived waiting on the next thing. Right? Like just to share a little bit of my testimony, I, I've not typically been a content person in my life, um, especially before I knew Jesus. So. I would, I would live my life just kind of hoping the next thing would, would get me some sense of satisfaction, right? Like whether it was going on a camping trip with the Boy Scouts or, or playing in the next game or, or even as simple as like waiting until practice that evening with the soccer team or uh, whatever it was I was doing. Like it seemed like I lived my entire life just waiting for that next thing to get me through. Like my whole life was just spent waiting. I don't know if that's something that you you can empathize with, but it's something I know a lot of Christians empathize with in the way they understand their faith. There's this this lie out there that this current world is evil, and you might be like, "Wait a second, the world is evil." Let let me finish. Right? There's this lie out there that the world is evil and completely and utterly to be done away with, and so that when Jesus returns, Judgment Day happens that this world's just going to be destroyed and we're all going to go to heaven where everything is good and great and nothing bad ever exists. And like I said, that's a lie. The passage we're looking at today, it deals with that. It, it shows why that's a lie and that's not what the Bible teaches in, in, in any shape or fashion. It doesn't teach that we go to heaven or that this world is to be utterly done away with, to look down upon, to just be completely wash your hands of and wait until we get to go to the other side. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Revelation teaches. If that's something you're interested in, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. So picking up where we left off last week, um, if you remember last week, we looked at John's two kind of backstories. They're his solo movies to the Marvel's grand Avengers phase one thing that they did, right? This is, this, this is John's kind of like backstory uh, as to how he feels about his, his prophetic calling, or maybe feels is the wrong word, but it's, it's kind of the backstory as to why he does what he does as a prophet, the, his sense of calling, and then how prophets fit into the larger role of the church as well. So those are the two delaying interludes we just looked at. Now we get back to the seven trumpets, the second septenary. Starting in verse 15, it says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and loud voices were heard from heaven. Now the kingdom of the world has passed to our Lord and his Messiah, said the voices, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders sitting on their thrones in God's presence fell on their faces and worshiped God. This is what they said. Almighty Lord God, we give you our thanks, who is and who was, because you have taken your power, your great power, and begun to reign. The nations were raging, your anger came down, and with it the time for judging the dead to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, the holy ones too, and the small and the great, those who fear your name. It is time to destroy the destroyers of earth. God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant appeared inside his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, thunderclaps, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So, this is the conclusion of that second septenary. And 
If you remember from our studies thus far, you know that, that the septenaries basically follow a similar pattern. Evil is let loose so it can be exposed. I mean, we talked about how, you know, it's, it's the, the counselor asking probing questions. You might think your problems are these, but those are really symptoms of a deeper issue. Or, you know, your, your medical doctor asking you, all right, when did this start? What happened? Trying to f- work through your symptoms to find the problem so they can actually cure it. The septenaries, God's rescue plan, evil is allowed to be exposed so that God can finally and fully deal with evil. And so when we get to the end of the septenaries, God purifies everything. He destroys the things that destroy his creation. He destroys the things that corrupt his creation. He is unloving towards anything that is unloving. That is what he does in the end. And it's not for lack of chances. We've seen that thus far, that God is, 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 is very gracious in how many chances he gives humanity over and over. And those people who continue to reject him, he gives a chance after chance after chance. It's not a, too bad, so sad, you never had a chance. It's, it's, it's continual chances that he keeps giving, but they keep rejecting him. And they will continue to reject him. That's what we've seen throughout these septenaries. And so we get to the seventh trumpet, and... God's justice is finally brought about. Evil has been exposed, and now evil is being done away with. And we're going to get a greater look at this. Remember that Revelation is not written sequentially. It's not this, then this, then this. It's, we're looking at the same vision from different angles because Jesus has different messages to communicate. And so the, the message of the trumpets, they've, they've essentially paralleled uh, the, the ten plagues. It's that Jesus is the great deliverer that he brings his people through. Now, in our section today, we saw that a, a very curious thing in verse 15, right? The word there that, uh, let me read it again. It says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and loud voices were heard from heaven. And this is, this is the interesting thing. Now, the kingdom of the world has passed to our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Okay, here's, here's what I want you to notice here. The word kingdom. Now you might be like, well, yeah, God's kingdom. But it says the kingdom of the world. Not the kingdoms of the world. Talking about each and every little individual nation and kingdom and, and state. The kingdom of the world. Singular. There's one. I think one of the, the core things that the Bible teaches is that unity is, is part of God's creation, right? God's initial design was that all that he made be unified and that things started to be disunited, started to separate and divide when things broke. Because before that, there was no division, right? There was no man killing animals, animals killing man, There was no nation against nation. There was no people against people. There was no brother against brother, sister against sister. There was no us versus them. There was just one. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, it created barriers and it started creating division where humanity (laughs) continued to divide up the world and these artificial nations and states and, and, and creating divides between people. I mean, it's, a, it's all the way down to cities. Two cities that are right next to each other could be as common as any cities could be, but they'll hate each other because they're that city over there and we're this city over here. I mean, it's, 
the fact you want to see evidence that creation is broken, look at the division that exists out there. But behind all of it, there's really one kingdom. One. And that's the kingdom of the enemy. I mean, the Bible teaches over and over, especially the New Testament, that the world is under the control of, of the enemy of God. And we're going to look at that enemy's backstory as we get to chapters 12 and 13. Why he rules, how he came to rule, how he came to rebel against God. But the world, really, we, the, the things that we see are just artificial. We put up these barriers and we put up these borders. And the reality is, behind it all is, is an enemy who is manipulating things. But behind him is God manipulating him. Behind him is God God using all of his decisions against him. Everything that he tries to do, God will work out for the ultimate good and for his glory. And so we see that the world is broken, and yes, the world is evil. But underneath it is still God's good. It's still God's glorious creation. When God makes all things right, and we'll look more at this in chapter 20 and 21, the physical still exists. I mean, we, we don't go to heaven. Heaven, that started in, in the, the Middle Ages, that, that, this idea that we go to heaven. You cannot go back to the first thousand years of Christianity and find any significant numbers of Christians who believed this or taught this. The only groups that taught this were Gnostic heretics who also taught stuff that were just absolutely against what Jesus and his apostles taught. We don't go to heaven. Heaven exists simply because God needed a space separate from us. Because it would annihilate us otherwise. Only things that can be in God's presence are those things that are perfect as he designed them to be. And when we sin, well, we're not. So we can't be in his presence. So heaven is 100% the place of, of God because he cannot be in the place of us or else we would be annihilated. But yet Jesus did his thing, his Messiah came, and he made the rescue plan, and he made us right, and he reunited us to where now we can be in his presence as broken and flawed as we are. We're given Jesus' righteousness, and so we will get to be in his presence for all eternity, but there won't be a need for heaven because there won't be anybody around who can't be in his presence. Heaven and earth recombined. We're going to look at that again in 20 and 21. But we see here that we have this illusion of kingdoms, surrounding us and the reality is there is one kingdom of this world and there's one kingdom of heaven but at the seventh trumpet it all becomes one kingdom because that's really what it is there's no part of creation that isn't under god's reign right the devil is allowed to rule but really he's he's already under the thumb of our god of our king and so all of creation will finally become under the domain of Jesus and God the Father. And so the point is this. When you look at creation through the lens of it's evil and broken and we have to just, we have to make it till judgment day. We have to stay strong and faithful uh, and just this world is just, ugh, like, it, it puts you in an escapist mentality, a platonic mentality. If you're unfamiliar, Plato, the famous Greek philosopher, that was what he taught, was that this world is just a shadow of the real world, and we'll get there when we die. There's so many Christians that live their life thinking that this world is just, it's kind of a write-off. Like, we just gotta, we just gotta white-knuckle it out until we can get through and, and get to the other side. But the fact is, that completely undermines what God designed us to do. That we are here to make a difference. And that the good things that we do will live on. 
When we see that the heavens and earth are made new, it's not that they're just completely destroyed and there's nothing left. No, the corruption, the brokenness, the evil, the unloving, that is wiped away. But the love and the good, that stays. You and I stay. And so we can't have an escapist mentality. We cannot look as heaven, at heaven as the destination. We have to look at the world around us and see it through God's eyes, see it through Jesus' eyes. And that means getting to work, taking ownership of the Great Commission, of going and making disciples who make disciples, of being the hands and feet of Jesus, of showing love and kindness and grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it because we don't deserve it. God loves you, and you had nothing to do with that. Therefore, we have to look at the world around us and all the broken people, especially the really broken people, the addicts, the losers, the people who are brushed aside by society, especially those people. We have to show them that God cares about them, the same as He cares about you and He cares about me. And so when I read this section, when I read these words of these elders singing the praise of the one who is and the one who was, notice there's no is to come because at this moment, that is present. He has come again. We have to, I read it and I'm just, I'm encouraged because I see a God who is so powerful and so great that there's nothing that can stand in his way. And I want other people to see that. I want other people to find the peace that I've found, the love that I've found, the kindness I've found, the family that I've found, the community that I've found. I want people to find this because it changed my life. And I really and honestly and fully and genuinely and wholeheartedly believe it can change theirs too. If they would just find it. I don't have time to escape this world. Jesus put me here for a reason. And he put you here for a reason. Maybe it's time to go do something about it. If you have any questions, reach out. Otherwise, see you next week.